the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ, here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered community here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Come Sunday, we pause to allow a moment of grace, a melismatic moment of grace, to touch and heal in the bright, shining light of the sunshine around, in the organ prelude that precedes, in the hymn's descant with power and beauty, and now in a moment of meditative quiet. As the choir guides, we receive this gift, this melismatic moment of grace. Let us pray. Thou gracious font and source of pardon and peace, grant us thy pardon, grant us thy peace, grant us thy pardon, grant us thy peace, grant us thy pardon, grant us thy peace, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear good news if we confess our sins. God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. A capable wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, 
and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her husband and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy, her husband too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a share in the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the city gates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from the epistle of James, beginning at chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 1 responsibly with the antiphon. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the, path <clears throat> or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper." The wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please rise in body or in spirit for the Gloria Patri in the reading of the Gospel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Glory to you, O Lord. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated. Good experience comes from seasoned judgment, which comes from bad experience. Michael Deng was the son of two immigrant Asian parents. He worked hard and was admitted to Baruch College in New York City. Upon entry, he joined a fraternity in order to discover friendship and support and find ways to move across a new landscape 
you could say he was looking for community, meaning, belonging, and empowerment. His photo shows a young man, bright, enthusiastic, exuberant, energetic. Michael Deng died on December 9, 2013. He had been taken by his fraternity to a house that looked like a fraternity house, but it was rented in Pennsylvania, and there to engage in a weekend of alcohol and of hazing. He was made to wear a backpack, sand-filled. He was made to stand and be uh, pummeled. Uh, One of his brothers put head down and ran directly into his torso. At some point, Michael Deng, who had been amenable to part of this journey, resisted. The narrative published this past week uses that word. He may have been able to accept what he thought was occurring, but at some moment he resisted. And that resistance only heightened the ire of his brothers who focused upon him. He died later that evening. His narrative has yet to be set in the larger narrative of student life in America today. His narrative has yet to be set in the larger narrative of what his tragic, untimely loss and resistance spared others, his fellow, uh, those also with him in the hazing. His narrative has yet to be set, especially in any understanding of that moment, midway through, when he refused, objected, and resisted. Steven Weinberg famously wrote that the more comprehensible the universe seems, the more pointless it seems. And when we are hounded and haunted by stories like Michael's, we feel the sentiment, the force of Weinberg's statement. But you know, comprehension is largely a matter of the mind. What becomes pointless or not is not about the mind only or mainly. It is about the will. Life, that is, my friend, is just about as pointless as you choose to make it and is just about as meaningful as you decide to make it. As in those last hours, moments, Mr. Deng, in courage, found his way toward our shared tradition of principled resistance. This is where you come in. Yours is a tradition of principled resistance, and gently in a churchly way, you have been sharing that over the last five Sundays. One Sunday, you concluded a sermon series in the summer on the beloved community and said, come and join with us and Thurman and King. Another Sunday, you opened a matriculation service and said, come and join with us and Augustine of Hippo, read, take, and read. Another Sunday, you invited the community to the Lord's table and said on Labor Day Sunday, come, join with us and with Jesus and him crucified and the church throughout the ages. 
And last Sunday, you invited the international community near and far to join with us on our International Sunday. And you said, come, celebrate wisdom. Listen to Martin Luther and Pope Francis and everyone in between. And next Sunday, you will be bathed in beauty as we open our musical work this semester with a cantata, a resurrection cantata, and learn with Bach to meditate on Jesus' cross and resurrection. Yours is a tradition of principled resistance. This is the Gospel of Mark that we have been hearing the past weeks. We must say it's been more read than interpreted, more read than preached. But in Mark 7, resistance against falsehood. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And later in that chapter, the Syrophoenician woman resists Jesus' refusal to heal and changes his mind. Even the dogs deserve crumbs, and he heals. And in Mark chapter 8, the quintessential moment of resistance, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his life? What can he give in exchange for his life? And this very Lord's Day from Mark chapter 9. The images of servant leadership resistant to heavy-handed power and of childlike innocence resistance to a forgetfulness about wonder. You are living every week a tradition of principled Resistance. Yes, on Sunday morning, here we are, but also on Sunday evening for the Eucharist at 6.30, which is a moment of beauty and oasis in the midst of anonymity all around, resistance. And also on Wednesday at 11.15 in the School of Theology Worship, right here, come and join in, where you resist together the separation of learning and vital piety. And then a communion service at 5.15 with the Episcopalians, wherein we resist a Christological amnesia that can come over us. And then on Thursday, right in Marsh Plaza, in the midst of an urban environment, a secular university, a post-Christian culture, you may receive the gift of bread and cup, body and blood, communion, to help us not to forget who we are, and whose we are. Yes, yours is this self-same tradition of principled resistance. The Gospel of Mark was written largely near the year 70 to make sure that early Christians did not mistake Jesus for just another God-man, Theos Aner, in the ancient world, born miraculously and raised mysteriously. No. His path was one they were taught, and so we, of challenge, of struggle, of cost. He has a long biblical background. You know about Daniel, whom you love, interpreter of dreams. But his interpretation cost him, and he ended up having to refuse to blaspheme and put then in the fiery furnace with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, there by God's grace 
to survive and tell the story for another day, costly. You remember Naboth, we heard about him four weeks ago. He had a garden. Ahab wanted it. Ahab asked. Naboth refused. Ahab pleaded. Naboth refused. Ahab implored. Naboth refused. Ahab sulked. Jezebel came and took Naboth and took his head and took his garden. Resistance can be very costly. What was it that John of Patmos said that put him like some latter-day papillon on a rocky island in the Mediterranean? He must have said something critical about the government around him. Actually, if you read his revelation, you hear some pretty choice language leveled at Rome. Beast, Satan, whore, all. John of Patmos, costly. Occasionally, Walter Brueggemann gets it right when he said, prophetic speech is an act of relentless hope that refuses to despair, that refuses to accept that this world is closed off in systems and patterns that are unchangeable. This is your tradition. Not too many years ago, a woman's voice was captured in the newspaper. She, at an elderly age, had been vandalized. Some of you have been vandalized. There's a sense of violation that lingers there. But she survived, and she said, I think we're raising a nation of hooligans in this country. You'll know her by her photo. This is Rosa Parks, who is the quintessence of resistance on December 1st, 1955, when sitting at the back of a bus in Montgomery, she stayed. She refused to move, and the tides of anger, and the tides of acrimony, and the tides of cultural unrest washed all over her. Some Christmases ago, our son Ben, he was a college student, asked for only one gift. He wanted a grill. So, because it was just $59.95, I acquiesced. We went and we bought it and we wrapped it. But as I was wrapping it, I saw who was selling it. It was a man named George Foreman. So, on Christmas morning, I said, With this gift, Ben, comes a task. You need to listen to this story. And it's a story about November 2nd, 1974, when George Foreman, the champion, the strongest man in the world, faced Muhammad Ali, old, aging, overweight. Muhammad Ali, in typical understatement, said, this will be the most wondrous spectacle human eyes have ever beheld. The ring opened, and one round led to another, and Ali did nothing. The crowd around him was chanting, Ali, Ali," which antiseptically translated means, go get him, big guy. He didn't. He leaned back. Third round, fifth round, seventh round, and the pump, the excruciating attack of this, the strongest of champions, until Foreman was worn out. And the eighth round came, and up Ali, and the right hand, and Foreman went down for the first time in his career. There is a power in resistance 
We, in many ways, in the Church of Jesus Christ in this country, have been 45 years on the ropes. And unless we miss our guess, we're going to be another 50 years on the ropes into the future before things change. But there is another round coming for those who, in faith, will live a tradition of resistance, a tradition of principled resistance. Now, somebody in the balcony is going to raise an objection. We have a full balcony today. Actually, that's a great place to sit for sight and sound. Someone's going to say, you know, Dean Hill, resistance is fine, but often it's immature. Resistance is petulant and selfie and solipsistic and narrow. And we couldn't agree more. That's why we use the term principled. In this tradition, there's always a cost to principled resistance. Or another, maybe to the left of the balcony, will say, you're not preaching about me, Dean Hill. I'm not Naboth, and I'm not John of Patmos, and I'm not Rosa Parks, and I'm not Muhammad Ali. I'm just Mary Jones. But you know, Mary, this sermon is actually mostly about you because resistance is primarily a very daily, ordinary quotidian event. Our theme at Marsh Chapel, for example, this year is prayer. Prayer is primarily a form of refusal to accept the world's time clock about what counts. Mostly work and a little bit of play. There's an awful lot more in life. Commitment to relationship. Marriage, faithfulness in marriage and partnership, very daily, very, very quotidian, is primarily a spiritual form of refusal to admit to this world's low estimate of intimacy. You cannot develop a friendship in 20 minutes and 140 characters. It takes time. Careful choice about profession and vocation and location is primarily though very daily, a spiritual form of resistance to a culture, Jesus said in the gospel last week, sinful and adulterous, that puts a low estimate upon calling. Tithing, that is giving 10% of what you have every year, which is our custom and habit here, is primarily a form of spiritual refusal to accept the mistaken notion that everything we have is only and exactly our own. And education, at its very best, is primarily a form of spiritual refusal to admit that life is pointless. Comprehension is one thing, but not to put too fine a point upon it. Whether or not life has a point is a matter of choice. There is a dualism of decision lurking not only in the pages of Scripture, but in every morning and afternoon and evening. And education is one such form of refusal, as in our Boston University School of Public Health that resists HIV infection for 37 million in the sub-Sahara, that resists the argument that health care is not a right, that resists the 20,000 recently in Central America infected with kidney disease, that resists the forgetfulness of the danger beverage alcohol can become for young adults ages 20 
to 25, and they resist the inevitability of 32,000 deaths a year by bullet in this country. Education is primarily a form of spiritual resistance. You know, you may not need this sermon this morning. This may not be the time when you need to hear about this endowment, this bequest that is yours. But there will come a day, and remember it from this day forward, particularly if you are young, when with confidence I can predict that you will need to take a withdrawal from this bank account. It may be on an evening when you are invited to do something that doesn't seem quite right, or at a noon hour when a vocation is offered you that is good, but it's not your good, or a nighttime when you need to resist entering a car because of the condition of the driver, or a weekend when you see something, so you need to say something. That may not be this week, but there will come a time. Hear the good news, people of faith, yours from the ancient writings to this day is a bequest of a tradition of principle resistance. It may have been that which was upon Bonhoeffer's, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's mind in the last months of his life. He was writing mainly prayers in those weeks when he penned the verse of our hymn, by gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered, confidently waiting, come what may. We know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day. We come now to a time of prayer in our service. I invite you to assume a posture that best allows you to support the prayers of the community. Stand, sit, kneel, come to the altar rail, and join in song as the choir leads us in Lead Me, Lord. Today we pray in the words of Howard Thurman from Meditations of the Heart. Memories crowd upon us as we look back over the week just past. Many high hopes, many dreams unfulfilled, many blunders made, and in the sharpness of our anguish, we turn back the wheels of time and try again.
many joys that were unanticipated, many little graces by which our faith in ourselves and in life is lifted up and strengthened, much for which we need to be forgiven, much we need to forgive. All around us, O God, there are reminders of thy presence in our midst, pangs of conscience, a spontaneous impulse to do the kind and gracious thing, the sensitiveness to another's needs, the great burden of anguish which we feel as we look out upon the world. Teach us, O living spirit, the wisdom to lay ourselves bare to thy scrutiny, that we may reflect thy life in the dark places of our minds, hearts, and desires that we may know thy courage and the grounds of thy hope for thy children. Amen. May we pray in the, Lord, in the words that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're so delighted to, that you're here this morning, whether you're joining us physically or virtually. And we invite you to become more involved in our community life, to join us at 735 Com Ave on Sunday, to add your name and info to the red books that are found along the center of our aisles, to come to one of our events that happen throughout the week. I'll highlight just a few. Um, this is actually a change from our bulletin. Vespers this week will take place tomorrow evening, um, so it will be Monday Vespers, not Sunday Vespers. It will be at 515 in Robinson Chapel downstairs. There will be Holden Evening Prayer, which is a beautiful sung service, so we invite you all to that. 
Our Dean's Advisory Board met on Friday for continued visioning and discernment for our community, and we greet all of those who traveled for that and are here with us this Sunday. And last but not least, next week is our first uh, of our Bach Cantata series for the semester. Um, they'll be doing a Cantata 66, and I invite you especially to join everyone at 9.45 a.m. right here um, in the chapel to, for the Bach experience. It's a great way to learn about some of the um, Cantata's music and theology, and it's really great, especially if you're a bit of a musical novice like me. Great way to prepare yourself to receive the gift that is in worship of our, of our full Cantata. So I hope you all join us there. Now, beloved, let us remember that it is both a joy and a discipline to be a giver, or as John Wesley preached it, um, work all you can, earn all you can, save all you can, only so that you can give all you can. Now, as I invite our ushers forward for our tithes and offerings, I invite you to meditate upon the choir setting of Giuseppe Verde's Paternoster.
O Holy One, take these gifts and we the givers for principled resistance in this world as we take up our cross and walk with your spirit. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever.